I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 263. Hello, and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking, and ultimately, your life. I'm so glad to be back writing fresh episodes for the podcast. And if you're a weekly listener, I took a four-week sabbatical and replayed some of my most downloaded episodes. I briefly introduced a few reasons why I needed to take the sabbatical, and perhaps my story intersects with yours. So check out the episodes for the brief introductions, as well as experiencing the message that resonated with past listeners. Now, before I went on a sabbatical, I announced that I was going to be using this week's song, New Wine by Hillsong Worship. It was a request by my listener, Stephanie, and I can't wait to dive in. So let's get to the song so we can get to the scripture. Make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring me. From the first time Stephanie emailed me about this song, I knew I wanted to explore the time when Jesus talked about new wine and the new and old wineskins. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 17, Jesus says, Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Now, the thing that is not specifically, uh, that it, that's not exactly what this song is about, right? So I'm okay with that, all right? the If you've been listening for any time at all, you know that I use the songs we're listening to in church and on the radio and, and even some of our favorites just to catapult us into scripture because the music we listen to should never be our scripture. Now, I understand that a lot of times the lyrics will move us and grab us and, and, and all of that, but uh, but music is art and it's lyrically expressive and it does move us. And when used in the way that I teach on the podcast, it can actually help trigger what you've studied in scripture. And take what we're about to do here. We're, we're going to dive into the synoptic gospels and I'm going to ask you to do some heavy lifting. And if you do that work and you spend the time, then every time you hear this song, it can remind you of what you've learned in your heavy lifting time. All right. That's powerful stuff. Now, each week I share with you the Bible interaction tool exercises that I use in my own personal time in God's word. And I, I call these exercises bites for short. And while I promise I don't, I didn't study for four weeks when I took my sabbatical to prepare for this lesson, I did do something. I pondered these verses for four weeks, which I cannot express 
how meaningful that is. You know, giving yourself margin to allow something to simmer in your mind and allowing the Holy Spirit to slowly reveal things to you. I am not good at that. You know, I'm more of a grab a new piece of information and run to the next stop and get some more kind of gal. So to have a few weeks to break that practice, or at least this one time for this this one sabbatical, break that practice, it was really, really good experience for me. So the bite I first used was the bite of repetition. Just read and repeat. You know, maybe even repeat, uh, read, listen, and repeat. Uh, there are so many great Bible apps out there that have audio versions of God's Word. I use version. And obviously, you're a fan of listening. I mean, you're listening to me now. So the next Bible interaction tool I used, I already described, but I didn't name it. And that is to meditate on God's Word. And I'm talking about this idea of letting it roll around in your mind a little bit, wrestling with the tension of not being 100% sure about what it means. I did that a lot. Only after I did the first two, what were the first two again? Was repetition and meditation. So I would read and repeat, read and repeat and meditate, think about it, roll it around in my head. Then I consulted a commentary. But here's the thing. I consulted a commentary and some outside articles to confirm my thinking or to make sure that I was on the right path, make sure that what I saw in scripture and um, what seemed to be there, I wasn't trying to make stuff up or create something clever, but that it confirmed my way of thinking, not to create it. Uh, you have the opportunity to be bombarded daily with someone else's thoughts on the scripture. And I know it seems daunting to try it yourself, but you can do this. All right. There will be some things you're not going to know by just reading scripture. I'm going to share a few of those things with you today. And while I absolutely love geeking out on historical context and higher level thinking, I don't want you to get discouraged. I want you to get started. So the biggest problem, in my opinion, is not that people are misinterpreting scripture. Obviously, that could be a huge problem. But it's that they first don't know what it says. So what I want for you is bi- bi- biblical literacy, What that you know what it says, so that if you listen to a sermon or you hear a song, for example, you might be able to say, yep, that's exactly what scripture says, or no, that's not consistent with what I know to be true in my own time in scripture. All right, enough talk. During my study time this week, again, this happened after my read, repeat, and meditate time, I used the bite of comparing and contrasting. And what I was comparing and contrasting was the way that the three synoptic gospels portrayed this scene. I read you that one verse out of Matthew. But first of all, let me define what synoptic gospels are. That is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And synoptic literally means together, sight. So these three gospel accounts see together with a common view. The Gospel of John, if you've ever read it, is very distinct, and it really offers very little comparison with the other three. And so uh, when considering the historic historical context of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even John, we need to remember that they were originally written 
to specific audiences. And this is really going to help us put into perspective how to read them and how to interpret them for proper application in our time. So for example, Matthew was written for a Jewish audience. Mark was written for a Roman audience. Luke was written for a broader Gentile audience. So I used a resource this week, uh, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. I will link to that book in the show notes. Um, and when I was reading chapter seven of this book, I learned a lot about how to read the Gospels. Now, Fee and Stewart teach, for example, to think horizontally when reading the Gospels. Uh, and that's just a way of saying to compare and contrast between them. All right, you've got this horizontal line. Uh, they caution one thing. They caution you not to try to fill out a story in one gospel with the details in another. So we're going to talk about why that's important in a minute. But while we're reading them in parallel or side by side or horizontally, okay, we discover certain distinctives and perhaps become aware of the different contexts in which something's being taught. So I did a little of that. And listen, I'm not even sure I came up with any major aha moments other than I practiced what I was learning. And I think this will begin to build a foundation that may increase my understanding in the future when I use the bite of comparing and contrasting, when I use the bite of thinking horizontally across the Gospels. So in other words, when I have, I find a story that's found in all three Gospels or two of the three or whatever that I would compare and contrast. Uh, but being careful not to, again, fill out the story using one or the other. So first I read in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, him being Jesus, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. All right, so that's Matthew chapter 9. Then I read the same account in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. And then I read the same account in Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. And actually, I actually read the whole chapters where these accounts were found. That's another bite of reading in context. And so I read Matthew 9, Matthew, Mark 2, and Luke 5. Then as I sat down to study them in parallel, trying to consider them horizontally as Fee and Stewart teach, I use the bite of looking at the section headings leading up to and after the account that I'm reading here to get my bearings. So in all three of the Gospels, Jesus heals a paralytic and then he calls Matthew to follow him and then encounters this question about fasting that I just read about. And then in the book of Matthew, it goes on to give an account of a girl brought back to life and a woman healed of a, of a disease. But in Mark and Luke, it goes on to show Jesus's teaching on being the Lord of the Sabbath. And so that's kind of the immediate things that are going along or that the uh, gospel writers are, are accounting in that order. Now, as you experience this process on your own, this comparing and contrasting, I want you to remember this. 
the, these gospels, again, were written to specific audiences. And so they selected the narratives and the teachings that those audience need, audiences needed specifically. In addition, they arranged them in a certain order for specific purposes. That's a whole nother teaching. I just want you to know that that happened, okay? And then they adapted the narratives to emphasize the theological points they wanted to make to their audiences. Now, in no way am I saying that these gospel authors did this without inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All scripture is God-breathed. But what I am saying, I'm saying this to bring just a little bit more understanding as to why there are differences. And I think once you consider these ideas, you could understand now why you wouldn't use the details in one gospel to try to fill in the story in another gospel account, because those writers were writing to specific audiences with specific uh, needs in a specific order to try to tell a specific story, not to to alter the story, but to tell it in a way that um, God inspired them to do. Okay, so in our exercise today, there are very few distinctives, meaning there's very few things that you're like, oh, well, that's a big difference from this gospel to another. In fact, all three gospels tell this story in pretty much the same way. When you read it, you'll see uh, one distinctive. I'm not going to go over it right now because I want you to find it on your own. But even so, I, I didn't come up with any major ahas, as I mentioned, but as I pursued this line of thinking, I was really grateful for the practice, and I'm really grateful for that kind of understanding of uh, the importance of reading those books in parallel, reading them together, trying to compare and contrast and look for those distinctives, because I think in the future, I may find those aha moments. All right, to understand the conversation about new wine here, you must at least consider it in the immediate context. So that's that conversation. You can't just take that verse out and say, let's figure out what this new wine stuff means without those surrounding verses where John's disciples are approaching Jesus and asking him a question. So the metaphor of the cloth and the metaphor of the new wine, they're both making the same point. But my question is, what's that point? Well, I think we have to consider, again, what sparked the conversation to begin with which is in verse 14, the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, Jesus has answered, this makes sense to me. I don't know if it does to you, but Jesus has said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So John's disciples were fasting. There was a National fast declared by the law once a year on the Day of Atonement. So everybody was supposed to fast, all Hebrew people. And then by tradition, they would actually fast more often than that. The Pharisees would, in fact, fast twice a week. And their fasting was also generally mournful. So Jesus gives a good example or explanation of why fasting and having the bridegroom in their midst just didn't jive. You know, while he's with them, they won't fast. But when he departs from the earth, then we'll fast again until his final return. Now, when we jump, then then the conversation jumps to this new cloth and new wine metaphors. So what does that have to do with bridegrooms and fasting? That that really stuck me for a while. Well, the, the tradition of fasting was based in the Mosaic law for the Day of Atonement fasting. And then it was added to with these with this religious tradition of fasting a couple times a week. And in just a couple of chapters before this, in Matthew, we see Jesus teaching on fasting. And it says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that the fasting may be seen by others. 
Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So this tells me a few things. First, once Jesus is no longer in our midst, we will fast. Okay, so we're in a season where, yes, I believe we should be fasting. And some of the people who had the habit of fasting were not doing it for holy purposes. It had turned into a show. Imagine that. Religious practices turning into a show. (laughs) I'm going to be so bold as to say that the very thing that inspires the podcast each week, which is music, can easily turn from true worship to show. All right, so what is new and what is old in these metaphors? Because we've got this whole new cloth, old cloth, new wine, uh, old wineskins, all that business. All right, we can see that the new and the old don't work together. We can see that. They lead to destruction. They lead to torn garments and burst wineskins, leading to spilled wine. So not taking anything out of context here, we cannot make this to say anything we need it to say. But with the power of observation... What is the old in this section of scripture? The old here is the tradition of fasting. But based on what we've seen is the old fasting itself. I mean, is it like Jesus is like, do away with fasting? No, it was the tradition, the religious tradition that was the old in this area, not the fasting itself. All right. So what is the new? Well, the new is the teaching of Jesus. And what did he reveal here? He revealed uh, several things that he's the bridegroom that his disciples are the wedding guests in this bridegroom wedding guest metaphor, that he will be taken from them, and that while he's with them, they won't fast. I got that directly from the scripture. Okay, I think the biggest deal is that in this whole section right here is that Jesus calls himself the bridegroom. And these folks would have been like, what? Because they knew what Isaiah prophesied. Isaiah 62 said, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall be no more termed forsaken and your land will no more be termed desolate. But you will be called my delight is in her. And your land married for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married for as a young man marries a young woman. So shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. (laughs) Okay, so Jesus, in effect, is saying, I'm God, I'm the bridegroom. And then he's saying, and not only only am I the bridegroom, but the rules are changing. I mean, I guess the rules were always that way, but the the way that you've interpreted them and added to the rules, not only are the rules changing, but you can't put my new teaching into your old way of thinking. Okay, you can't mix old religious rituals with this new faith in Christ, just like you can't add Jesus to like works based traditions and you can't. Combine Jesus with ways of your previous life. Consider what we learn in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Uh, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we sing our song this week and we ask God to make us his vessel, we are speaking of the new man, our new life in Christ. But when we sing about Jesus bringing new wine out of me, that cannot happen unless you are putting in new wine into the new wineskin of a new life in Christ. You see, new wine is revealed through scripture, being renewed in the spirit of your minds, thinking about things, studying things, doing the hard, heavy lifting I always challenge you to do, is meant, as mentioned in Ephesians. Again, that happens through that power of the word. You are on the right track here. You're doing the hard thing. And while you've made new, while you are made new in Christ, you receive, when you receive his free gift of, free offer of salvation, you are made new in Christ, Okay. But we are still called to put off our old self. All right. Does that make your head hurt? I am new, but I'm supposed to put off my old self. I thought I was new. Um, but but trust me when I tell you that both can be true. Okay. This is often referred to as positional versus progressive. At salvation, we are positionally right before God because of Christ. But we still sin, right? I mean, by experience, you see this. So we are positionally new, but we are progressively made new. Okay. I know this could be a whole podcast on its own, but I just want you to know, I think my biggest takeaway is that if you're trying to put new wine into old wineskins, if you're trying to put the teachings of Christ and the big picture of the Bible and scriptural truths into an old wineskin of religion or religious practices, your wineskin will burst and the wine will be spilled out. Put this new wine in a new wineskin of new life in Christ. And if you've been doing that and you're frustrated with your progress, don't forget, wine ages over time. I'm pretty sure the Matthew who compiled this gospel that we're studying is not the same Matthew that was called by Christ in chapter 9, meaning not the same guy anymore, right? He, he was made new. New wine was poured into him and he matured in Christ over time. So cut yourself some slack, make progress. It's not going to be an instantaneous thing. So what's next? Well, read Matthew chapter 9, read Mark chapter 2, read Luke chapter 5. Focus in on Jesus's discussion with John's disciples about fasting. And then consider what elements were old in this metaphor and what elements are new if you've never accepted the free gift of salvation in Christ, please do not delay one more moment. Once you are made new, however, the journey is not over. Continue to put off your old self and be renewed in the spirit of your minds through your continued dedication to reading and studying the word of God for yourself. And while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. Hop on Twitter at michellekneezat or Instagram at michellekneezat or on Facebook. Michelle L. Nizat is my public page. 
and let's talk about what you're learning. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank all my new subscribers who have subscribed recently. The list is a little longer than normal because I have been on sabbatical, but I am so thankful for each and every one of you that to me, it's worth it to acknowledge you by name. So thank you. Paul from New Zealand and Jane from Wisconsin, Heather from the UK, Graciela from Texas, Minnie from Florida, Christina from Arizona, Julie from Germany, Colin from Minnesota, Indimu uh, Haki from the UK. I'm so sorry, I probably butchered that. Anita from Texas, Sean from Ohio, Shirley from Alaska, RJ from Texas, Ter- uh, Jerry from Texas, Kathy from Indiana, Margo from Australia, Cheyenne from Pennsylvania. Luciana from New Hampshire, Joy from Texas, Susie from Louisiana, Grisel from New York, Mary Ann from Oregon, Kelly from Texas, Jody from California, Miles from South Carolina, Heather from the UK, Shannon from California, Yvette from Louisiana, and Linda from Massachusetts. Welcome. Now, new subscribers to my website will benefit from a one-page resource of my top five bites that I've used on the podcast. It's a really great place to start. Subscribers will also benefit from an email that I send once a week. And in that email, you will get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can even print it out. You get an email recap of the week's episode and you get instant access to any of the extra resources that I create for my podcast from time to time. All of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. Now, have you had a chance to write a review in iTunes for the podcast yet? Uh, This not only encourages me, but it helps me stay visible to new listeners. And as always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Just like Bessie Girl, who writes, I've always been a very musically motivated person, and the best form of worship for me is through music. I love that you take the songs I love and match them with the Word of God. Thank you for your dedication to Christ. He is using you for great and beautiful things. Thank you so much, Bessie Girl. That means a lot. And Love in Montana writes, I'm not good at taking notes, so I appreciate that Michelle does the hard part by doing this for me. I can follow along with the leads she gives. Saves a ton of time and makes my study time more focused. Christian music is wonderful, and so is this podcast. And what Love in Montana is referring to is the fact that I take notes for you weekly, and you can access those show notes of every episode by subscribing to my email. They land in your inbox every Monday morning. Thanks so much for that review. Of course, you can listen to the podcast through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app on my website. We're also on Joy 103.1 every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. You can follow us on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will use the song Nobody Loves Me Like You by Chris Tomlin. This was a request by my listener, Leanne. And if you liked this episode, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 263. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.